Our sermon text will be verses 6 and 7. I'm going to read from verse 1 of chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding sorry of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments for though I am absent in body yet I am with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ therefore as you received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving amen and as we look to God for help in understanding his word especially those words of six and seven therefore as you received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving we have come to the thematic heart of the book of Colossians the theme it has often been stated is is right here in these verses as you received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him the Apostle declares his desire for how these Christians should live even though he has not seen them face to face he has heard of them from a distance having heard of their faithfulness through their mutual friend and pastor Epaphras lots of times we need reminders of our duties to recall us to the urgency of this Christian journey we have begun we are pilgrims seeking a better country we're seeking the heavenly country when the mind is under stress believers may feel that the directions for living the Christian life are unclear or confusing at such times it's good to just get back to the basics the Lord is the one who in this scripture says keep your focus on three simple tasks and you will not go wrong friends wouldn't it be refreshing to remember our duties again simply in the Lord Jesus in him the Christian just has to walk mature and learn isn't that easy to remember just walk mature and learn so even if the church has not gone astray and is in no need of remediation it is good to hear these again because like all Christians we may get tempted to forget especially if new teachers arrive on the scene to offer something in addition to Christ some new flavor of abundant life to supersede the gospel so let's remember our duties here Christians is your first duty which is to walk to walk therefore verse 6 as you received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him the Christian life is about continuity from first believing to walking in him in the present and of course till we get to glory so God wants believers to carry on 
In certain ball sports, I understand there are strategies called plays, and there's a person called a receiver who receives the ball and then goes on to complete his part of the play. His action in the present time is taking what he's been given and continuing on. Christians receive a person. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord. To be a little more exact, as you received the Christ, even Jesus the Lord. As you received the Christ, even Jesus the Lord. Christ means anointed, and it picks him out as the mediator. The faith we must have to be saved is receiving the Jesus of history, as revealed in the gospel, and entrusting ourselves to his work done for us, and coming under his lordship. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And he appeared to the disciples, the Jesus of history, 1 Corinthians 15. Just as a receiver takes the ball, the receiver of Christ goes on to walk or to live out the consistent Christian life. Is the pattern of your conduct consistent with him? If it is, you will keep to the path. You will not pause along the way. Walking is action. There is progress and movement. Whenever we're on our feet, whenever we're on our feet, as long as we're not standing still, we go somewhere. As long as we take a step, or as soon as we take a step. So walking in Christ is directional movement, always along the path he's mapped out. Paul had this kind of walking in mind in chapter 1, and it might interest you to look in chapter 1, as it's probably there on the page in front of you, at verse 10 where he says that believers are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Beloved, I think we are much more quick to latch on to Christ as Savior from the penalties of our sin. We rightly relish the truth that Christ rescued us from death and punishment. That is the wonderful flavor of the gospel. But sinfully, there's a desire in our heart of hearts that does not want Christ to save us from the sin itself. We have to go farther if we're to walk worthy of the Lord, because the Christ who we have received is Lord, sovereign King and Master. His reign within us must replace the reign of our sins. You and I must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, Romans 6. Sin must not have dominion over us, neither our Sinful natures nor our individual sins that we cherish can be the ruling power in our lives. If you've received Christ, you received a new Lord. Let's be straightforward. If Jesus is not our Lord, he is not our Savior. Think of the life that Christ lived as he ministered here on earth. He proved his power or lordship over all other authorities whether Satan and demons, whether disease, death, the will of man, over rabbinic tradition, in fact all tradition, and even over the forces of nature. Did he not command the wind and the waves, and they obeyed him? 
He began his ministry with a command of authority, repent and believe the gospel, Mark 1. If there is even one source of power outside of his power to command, then he lacks the power to save. We're not Christians if we say we have received him only as fire insurance to save us from hell, while our hearts, minds, wills, affections, and desires remain under the reigning authority of the flesh. Every believer comes under new authority. So to walk in him, you go under his authority by his strength provided to you. You carry on, you receive his consolations, you look to his promises, you hope in the fulfillment of his word. His law is your delight. It becomes part of you, hid deep in your heart. Christ has the right to conform us to his image, and he has given many helps. What would you say to a Christian friend who came to you privately and humbly and said, I wanted to ask if you would be willing to hear some criticism from me about yourself, about something I see that's sinful or a flaw I see in you. What would you say to that? Could you hear it as Christ helping you to conform to his image and to bring you more under his lordship? Could you be glad that Christ was wanting to lengthen the strides of your walk in the Christian life? A candid friend is a help. No, not the only help, surely. But we should be glad for friends who will walk beside us in the Christian life and speak to us frankly as friends. So our first duty is to walk. But secondly, a Christian has the duty to mature in him. To mature in him. Verse 7 says that we must be rooted and built up in him. To be rooted is, of course, to be like a plant with a root firmly in the ground. It's a word that also applies to putting a foundation in to hold up a building. Recently, back there in Quinter, Kansas, a construction company dug the hole and built the foundation for the train depot that's been brought to town. The building isn't going to fall because it has a root or a foundation. How does this relate to Christians? Well, they are positioned, which is rootedness, and then they are built up. First positioned, then built up. Foundation first, then building. And being built up is maturity. Kids' maturity is what you get when you grow bigger. Babies are immature. By the time you're 18, you have a mature body. The process is maturation. happens to everyone. Here, we're talking about spiritual maturity. We had the fun of planting sunflowers in our gardens this year, which grow very tall and produce thick stalks. They are not mature until they have produced a flower and then a seed head. But can you imagine a plant trying to mature without its root? It would be impossible because without the roots, a plant can't draw up nutrition and water from the soil. Notice, if you will, brothers and sisters, that both rootedness and being built up are in him. By way of eliminating alternatives, let's just say that the root isn't in any one denomination or congregation of the visible church. Now I'm talking about an application that applies to how we view the church. 
The root is not in one denomination, nor is the building up or the maturation happening in only one church. That's not the issue. The soil, where every true root is, is in him, in Christ Jesus the Lord. Every true believer has union with Christ through faith alone. Likewise, maturation is not institutionalized as if some person had to associate only with one people under one name, otherwise they wouldn't mature. That's why when the disciples saw a man who wasn't of their inner circle casting out demons in Christ's name, and after they had tried to stop him, the Lord told them, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Luke 9. In other words, Christian maturity is not a man-made product. That's not to deny, of course, that spiritual maturity can't be sped up by the application of spiritual miracle grow, or to deny that it can be inhibited by lack of nutrients. Every branch that is in Christ will bear fruit, but you have to be in Him. Every believer with a root will be built as a church we should be praying to become more of the miracle grow variety. And it's our duty to become so. To become mature for our friends and brothers' sake. For the peace of Jerusalem and its prosperity, the more mature we are, the less susceptible to spiritual problems. The more mature we are, the more we can help others and serve the king. And of course, the more mature we are, the less our eyes will be set on the things of this earth, and so we will be happier, since our joy will be fixed on heavenly, unchangeable things. Now, no one can develop spiritually by sinking roots into any other medium than Christ. Think about this, young people. If you were to mix up a batch of concrete in a bucket, and plant your garden seeds in it, would they, would they grow? No, and that's because the concrete will cure and harden and no root can develop. Friends, check your root. Examine yourselves to see if you be in the faith. You'll be interested to know that maturing doesn't happen without Christ's body, the church. Look ahead in your scriptures to verse 19 of this same chapter. Paul talks about someone who is puffed up and who is not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, there meaning the church, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Isn't that astonishing that you and I need the body of Christ to grow and mature? We need other saved sinners who will fail sometimes and succeed sometimes. No maturity will be ours. No building up will happen without them. Why? They're connected to the head, as we are. The head supplies growth to the body, yes, but supplies through ligaments and joints, that is, through other believers. You see that church on YouTube is not the answer to spiritual maturation. I don't mean there's no good from it. But at a distance, you know, people on a screen seem very perfect and not at all messy. They won't disturb us with their messiness, but neither can they build us up. There's another word for building up, which is edification. To edify is to build something up or construct it to improve it. I remember some 
beautiful buildings I saw in Scotland where masons and stone carvers had scalloped ornate design into stone and placed them high up on the city buildings. They are edifices of art. They are beautiful buildings. God's plan for us is to mature and to become beautiful, to grow in Christ, surrounded by Christ's body the way an immature butterfly before it emerges is surrounded by its cocoon. Edifying others is the great calling on the Christian life. Did you know that you are a builder? Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14. Let all things, he means in the church, let all things be done for building up. How do we build one another up in Christ? Well, it begins with love. Do you indeed love the brothers? I know you do. All people love some people. Even tax collectors love those who love them. The crooks hang out together. But do you love other believers in the church? We know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers, 1 John 3. Search your heart. Do you really love these sheep of God? Do you love them with all their problems? Does anybody know that you love them? Do you weep with those who weep? Do you rejoice with those who rejoice? How can love ever be silent? Can love be reclusive? Can love be exclusive? Can it be constantly critical or unresponsive? How do we show our love for brothers and sisters? Believe me, I have preached this to myself already. How do we show our love? How do we edify the brothers and sisters? Here's how. Stop thinking about yourself. Ask, what would it be like for the others if I did this or did not do this? And I think maybe that means stop thinking of immediate family exclusively. Of course, think about your family and provide for them. That's a given. I'm not teaching you to neglect your family and your duties to them. But there is room in every believer's life for edification beyond the family unit. If there were no room in your life for the church, the Lord would not have made such a thing as the church, nor commanded you to grow up in it and be surrounded by it. You say, very well, all good, grow from the root, be built up in him, but why should I, after all, want to be mature? Every Christian really does want spiritual maturity. I think you feel that in your own heart. Every Christian wants it. It's the unbeliever who could care less. In Christ, I commend you for the building up that is already going on and that is very obvious here at Springs Reformed. Uh, myself and my family, we feel it. Your love for the saints is obvious. I commend you. But ask yourself this. Would you only want saplings to grow in your yard that never became mature trees? Would you like to plant a garden in the spring that never flowered? Would you want a crop that never produced seed? Would you want a world of caterpillars and no butterflies? We can intuitively see that failing to mature is a problem, even if we cannot tell why. Babies and toddlers, we know, they are wonderful. But if the whole world of people were babies and toddlers, it could not be a world. C.S. Lewis said, every father's delighted when his toddler takes his first step, but no, one, no father would want the boy, his boy to walk like a toddler the rest of his life. 
The reason is that there's a, a telos in everything God made. There's an end result, a purpose to bring about the consummate end. No one starts out as the person they will be or the person they ought to be. Therefore, we should seek the maturity for ourselves that will make us into the people God designed us to be. We've got purposeful lives as Christians, and that purpose is to be conformed to the image of God's Son. We live for Christ, we die for Him, we do it individually, and we do it as a church. Maturity is for our own good. There was a man who was known for being ugly to his co-workers and all the people who worked under him. One day he was diagnosed with cancer, and at work the following day he was different, quiet, respectful, and even showed a little kindness. Over a couple of weeks, his employees and his co-workers thought he might be a changed man. He took medical leave to get treatment, and after a few months he was back, his cancer gone. But guess what? He was the same cruel, selfish, ugly person to others that he had been before. And they said, what a waste. God gave him a new lease on life, and it did him no good. Friends, have you forgotten the new lease God has given you on life? Have you forgotten that you've been cleansed of your former sins? If you or I forget, we're going to be like plants that get off to a good start, then stop maturing, that stop bearing fruit. So not only should we desire maturity for our own sake, but we should desire maturity for the sake of others. It's our duty, and there's honor in doing duty before people. The alternative to duty is letting others down, just like the, the strength of a man allows him to go to work for the good of his family, like the strength of a woman allows her to lift her children. Our spiritual strength can lift others. We do it for the one another's good. We've met the person who shirks from family duty and the whole unit suffers. So it's honor to be built up in him because it helps the people around you. It helps you to love the brothers. Most importantly, we should desire maturity so that we can glorify God. Godliness brings him praise. Now you might say, well, what if I'm so far behind? What if I can't ever have the maturity of an apostle? What if I could never have the faith of a prophet or even of my neighbor or the person sitting next to me in the pew? Friends, we're not in the comparison game between people, are we? We're pupils in Christ's school. We're not in the school of human reputation. Every garden plant grows at a different rate, and the only person we have to try to please is the Lord Jesus himself. So, grow for him, and forget where other people are. Our duties thus far are to walk and to mature. And now the third duty is to learn. Three duties. This one is to learn. Verse 7 continues, And established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, by established in the faith, Paul does not mean or refer to the faith inside us, but to the content of faith. He means to the apostolic preaching, to the, to the Bible. We're talking about gaining new knowledge of the truth, where he says, be established in the faith. If we receive truth in faith, we will improve our faith. 
Have you ever noticed how hungry the people in Pakistan are for the Word of God? I refer to the seminary students and to members of the churches and to the books they consume that are now being printed in the Urdu language. And now not only uh, our own missionary in Midwest Presbytery, but also Reformation Translation Fellowship is printing books for Pakistani readers so that they will be established in the faith. Having a hunger for knowledge is a mark of God's grace. Knowledge uh, rather a Christianity that makes you mature and happy follows from knowledge of God. A steady church grows from knowledge of the truth. You'll stay on the right path and you'll walk and make progress toward godliness if you keep grasping the teaching of the Bible. Becoming established is a process consistent with what you were first taught about Christ. This is right here in the text. See how he says in verse 7, just as you were taught. School children, you've probably noticed that the lessons in your school always build on what came before. Addition and subtraction are always true and basic to math. You get to do algebra and eventually calculus as you gain understanding because you've already mastered your first grade math. Christ has a curriculum for our development. We must not be lazy disciples or too busy for spiritual things lest we be held back. Or think about it this way. People who have had broken bones or back surgery get a doctor's prescription to go to physical therapy. They're in a weakened condition and if they don't go to therapy their condition won't improve. So, here is Christ's prescription for spiritual therapy. To walk in Christ is to walk as a learner. Friends, we are still students. And I have to say that no one can do discipleship for you except you yourself. Walking, maturing, learning, these are not someone else's duties. They are your duties as they are mine. If anyone would come after me, the Lord said, he must deny himself. He must come after me. It's not someone else's job. I, your a pastor, I can tell you all the blessings that are yours if you do become a disciple of Christ. I can warn you of all the dangers if you don't, but only you can go after Christ. Only you can put one foot in front of another. I think the greatest persuasion that you can have to go the way of discipleship and also the greatest comfort that you can have for all the losses you'll suffer along the way is this, that Christ himself went down this path first. He denied himself. He took his cross. And he promises to be with his Christian people from now till journey's end. I think our teacher will himself be our greatest encouragement along the way. Isn't it wonderful that our teacher is none other than the Son of God? Isn't it wonderful to get to learn at his feet? Learn of me, he says, you will find rest for your souls. I wrap up with some of these words. Sometimes we don't know how to direct the, the conversation we're having with someone else in a Christian way, perhaps on the Lord's Day or any day. Sometimes you don't know how to speak about God-glorifying things. We do know how to visit about weather and hobbies, and what we're going to do the following day, or the following week. 
One way I think we can all help each other to learn and mature is if we ask each other, say, Sabbath afternoon, what you learned, what did you learn in your curriculum this week? Couldn't you help a brother or sister if you say, what did you learn from Christ this week? What did you learn about the faith? And do not only be prepared to ask, but pre be prepared with an answer to give. There are three duties plainly here in just two verses. Verse, uh, they are walk, mature, and learn. And verse 7 says to do them all, abounding in thanksgiving. And that's because whatever good happens in us is a work of God in us. Thankfulness says, you did this for me. And I, a beggar, could give nothing for it. Thanks is how you acknowledge the goodness of God. Beloved people of God, maturation involves pressure and hardship. Thank God in the midst of hardship. Don't stop thanking him and thank him for the hardship because you can believe his promises to save you, not from the hardship, but through it. Thanksgiving goes all through the Christian life. Let us walk in him, rooted and built up, and let's give him thanks. Let's pray. Merciful and gracious God, we thank you for Christ, our teacher, who has encouraged us to learn from him and to gain knowledge that we might grow in grace and in faith and in maturity. We thank you that he promises us that this knowledge, this establishment in the faith will never be wasted and will never perish from us, but will be beneficial for this present age and for the age to come. We want to ask you, and we do ask you to help us to walk with you here so that we will be happy in heaven. We ask you to help us walk under Christ's authority by his strength that he provides to us and help us to carry on to receive Christ's consolations when we are in affliction and hardship. Help us always to look to his promises and not to doubt. Help us to hope in the fulfillment of his word and to make his law the very delight of our hearts. Pray for my Christian brothers and sisters here and ask that you would help them to grow in Christ, always to be established in him, to have a firm and stable foundation. And you, O oh Lord, I pray, grant them the nourishment they need and the strength to go on. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.